Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. You can take a seat, and as you do, I'm going to ask you to take out your Bible and go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We are moving right along here in, uh, in 2 Timothy as, uh, as Bryson uh, Thomas wrapped up last week in chapter 1, and uh, really we, we continue this theme throughout 2 Timothy of, of, of perseverance, of suffering, of, uh, of being faithful to uh, Christ in the middle of, uh, of trying times, as we've said before. Um, Paul is, is writing this from prison, uh, most likely in Rome. He knows his time on earth is drawing to a close, so, so there's a weightiness uh, to this letter that, that wasn't necessarily present in 1 Timothy, which we uh, covered last fall. Um, in that letter, in, the, in Paul's first letter to Timothy, he addresses Timothy really primarily as the pastor of the church at Ephesus. In this letter, he addresses Timothy in much more uh, intimate terms, and as, who he, as he will put it, as his true son in the faith. And so as we turn our attention this morning to chapter 2, uh, Paul is going to tell Timothy that, that he should have this foundation of grace, this firm foundation in the grace of the Lord. And so really what we're going to see this morning are, uh, are three commands that Paul gives in this passage, and then three examples of, of what it looks like to live out those commands on a daily basis, what it looks like to live them out as followers of Christ. And so uh, if you have your Bible open. Let's stand together as we read the word the Lord's given to us. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And Paul writes, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Let's pray. Father, we do lift up... Uh, your word this morning, asking that you will speak through it, asking that you will arrest our hearts where they need to be arrested this morning, that you will change our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes where they need to be changed, that you'd bring men and women from death to life this morning through your word, and and that, that for those of us who are already followers of Christ, that you would Strengthen the foundation that we have in your grace. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. All right, so as I said, really simple. Three commands, three examples. Um, Nothing mind-blowing, I don't don't think, this morning. Uh, Some encouragement, though, from from Paul to Timothy. As Paul is someone who is experiencing uh, a time of trial, a time of persecution, uh, actually in prison, because of his faith, 
he's turning around and using that to encourage his readers, primarily Timothy, but also those in the church at Ephesus that would be reading this letter. And in fact, we have, uh, we have three other letters that Paul wrote from prison. We know Paul wrote from prison. Uh, the books of Ephesus, uh, Ephesians, Colossians, and, and Philippians. And uh, in that, we see Paul, even in the middle of his trials, trying to uh, strengthen other people. Now, so far in 1 Timothy, as I said, we've, we've seen, uh, or in 2 Timothy, we've seen Paul remind Timothy of the heritage of faith that he has in his own family. And encouraging him to continue that pattern of sound teaching. In fact, uh, really where we pick up in chapter 2 this morning is it picks right up where, where Paul left off in verse 7 in chapter 1, where he said, verses 6 and 7, he says, Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. And then he almost goes into an aside in the rest of, of chapter 1. And so it could be that he's just picking right back up where he left off in verse 7. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So what, what Paul would tell Timothy, first of all, is that he is to be firm in grace. Be strong, my son, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, this is actually an ongoing command. So it's not just a one-time, um, be, be strong. You know, you just got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You just got to be strong here. That, that's not what it's saying. In fact, this is, uh, the, the way this is written in the Greek um, uh, it's, it's a call to be continually strengthened in the Lord. So this is an ongoing, day-by-day call to Timothy. In fact, as we look at the, at the rest of chapter 2 over the next few weeks, uh, we'll see a number of commands from Paul to Timothy. And one of the things we need to understand about the, about the commands in the Bible is that they're never commands just given for the sake of, of commands. Instead, they're meant to call Timothy to live faithfully in light of who Christ is and what Christ has done for Timothy, and of course, by extension, us. So he's calling Timothy to be strong, stand firm in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. One of the interesting things we'll see throughout the New Testament is that Paul never tells somebody to be firm on their own strength. We never see Paul giving a, you know, you just got to toughen up. Just buckle in because this is going to be hard and, and you just got to kind of white knuckle it through here. No, it's always, I mean, what, what kind of Christian life does that sound like? How's your Christian life going? It's great. <laughs> Having a great time. Praise the Lord. Right? No, that's not what he would call us to do. And yet how often do we live that way? Right? I was like, man, life's just nuts, you know, we're just, we're just holding on until things slow down. Really? Because you've been saying that for five years. Like, when does it, so, so there's, there's something, either life is not really going to slow down, or you got to make some changes in the way you're responding to, to the way that life's coming at you. So in, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul would say this, um, as he's writing to the, to the Corinthian believers, he would say, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you have received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. So notice here, and this is uh, um, 
chapter 15. And, and he'll go on in, in verse 3, for, he say, for I passed on to you as a first importance. Here we are, chapter 15, and now I'm telling you the most important thing. But he's simply reminding them of the gospel, which you received. Remember that? You came to faith in Christ, believers. On which you have taken your stand. The idea is that, that that's, a, that's a present reality. You're standing in, in standing on the gospel and, and by which you are being saved. And that would be, that would be kind of present looking into the future. I'm, I'm going to continue to be saved. I was saved when I placed my faith in Christ. I am saved right now. I am being saved and, and praise the Lord, someday I will ultimately be saved. So this is not him, this is not Paul just simply saying, you know, just, just toughen it up. You just ride out this storm and everything will be smooth sailing. No, he's saying, in the, the struggles that we face in life, we stand not on our own strength. We stand in the strength that Christ has given to us. We stand on the gospel. Even, even, even Paul, as he's, as he's awaiting his crucifixion, is calling Timothy and calling the believers that he's addressing to stand firm in their faith. So that's the first thing. Second thing is this. He's calling us to be fruitful in discipleship. When we get to verse 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So I want you to stand firm in the faith, and then I want you to pass on what you've learned. Now this is ultimately a call to fulfill the Great Commission. Now, there, there are a lot of ways in which we can do that. Part of, uh, part of it is, is when we gather together in corporate worship like we're doing here this morning. We're, we're coming together to worship Almighty God and open up His Word together. So there's a sense in which what we're doing here is making disciples, being made into disciples of Christ. We, we do that, hopefully, when we gather in small groups to study God's Word, whether that's in a, in a Sunday school class or on, a, or on a Wednesday night or in like our ladies Tuesday night Bible study, those are ways that we disciple one another through the, through the local church. But, but notice that, that Paul's charge here isn't to start a class. It's not to go to seminary. It's to simply pass the faith along to a new generation who will not only come to saving faith in Christ Jesus, but who will then also be able to teach others. So what we have in in mind here is Paul's looking at his spiritual great-grandchildren. He said, that's where I want you to be focusing, Timothy. I've passed this along to you. You're my true son in the faith. I want you to pass it along to others. But I want you to pass it along to others who will be able to teach others also. Now, certainly within the, within the context of 2 Timothy and, and knowing that Timothy's serving as a pastor, there's, there's a sense in which I think this is a, a call for uh, Timothy to be raising up elders, those who can teach others also. As we saw in 1 Timothy 3, Paul laid out the qualifications for elders who are called to shepherd the local church, and, and one of the qualifications was that they are able to teach. Now, in, in, in Southern Baptist life, we believe this role of pastor or elder is limited to men. So, so on one hand, this is a call 
to Timothy to teach men who can teach others also. This is one of the reasons I'm so thrilled that Bryson taught last, last week that he preached here. Because I just, I'm just crazy enough to think that the primary place that preachers should be raised up is not in seminary, as good as seminary is, it's the, it's the church. Because what we didn't see in the, in the first century was, was Jesus calling these disciples to him and saying, okay, uh, I want you to go fulfill the Great Commission, but first you've got to go get educated. In, in fact, Jesus actually actively chose men who were not educated. He chose fishermen and tax collectors. And he poured into them, and these are the men and, and the women that he poured into in, during his ministry, the, the folks that he spent time with are the ones that turned the world upside down and are the reason that we are followers of this Jewish Messiah 2,000 years later in the United States of America. Now, there's nothing wrong with seminary. I've, listen, I've, I've gone to seminary twice, okay? I'm getting ready, Lord willing, to finish up a doctorate later on this summer. Michelle assures me it's time for me to finish. <laughs> Michelle's, Michelle's assured me that this is, this, it's time, Kyle. You need to, need to get done with this, okay? So I'm not anti-seminary at all. I just think we've asked seminary to do too much. That when a, when a young man feels, when, when a young man or woman says, I feel called to missions or I feel called to the ministry in some way, Awesome. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to send you away. Now, nowhere in Scripture do we see a command to send folks to seminary. We see a command to train up folks in the local church. So we certainly need, uh, we, we need men who are raised up out of the local church to preach and to shepherd and, and the cool thing is that along, along with the technology that we have now, um, we can do both and. In fact, Bryson's doing this right now. He's working on his Master of Divinity at Southern Seminary while he's right here in Alamogordo. And he doesn't have to fly to Louisville twice a week, right? That would be quite a commute. He's, he's able to do that online. So we, we have those opportunities to, to make it a both and without... So, so hear me, maybe you're here this, this morning, maybe there's some men in the class, in, in the class, <laughs> speaking of school, <laughs> maybe there's some men in the congregation this morning who would say, you know, I think I'm, I'm feeling called to, to pastor, I'm feeling called to shepherd, I'm feeling called to preach, and, in which case I would simply say, man, I would love to visit with you afterwards, because there's some material that I can take you through, and there's some wonderful opportunities for us to do a both-and approach, to be working with you in the local church, as well as to provide some opportunities for you to go to to, and work on and formal theological education without having to go to Kansas City or Fort Worth or Louisville in order to do it. But this call is, is certainly, so it would include that formal office of elder, but, but don't think, well, I'm not, I'm not called to be an elder, I'm not called to preach, uh, so, so this doesn't apply to me, because that, that would be missing the point here. Because we need men and women who are passing the faith along to their children, to their neighbors, to their co-workers. As you know, our, our evangelism training that was scheduled for a couple, couple of weeks ago got postponed, but we're in the process of rescheduling that. And then after we finish 2 Timothy, before we get into Titus, uh, I'm going to take us through a series called Who's Your One that was put out, uh, it was developed by J.D. Greer, who's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention and a pastor in Raleigh-Durham, 
North Carolina. We'll talk about, about that a little bit as we get closer to it. We're going to do some evangelism emphasis for a month or so right here on Sunday mornings in, in May into early June. Some evangelism uh, emphasis, evangelism training right here. They'll hopefully equip us to be able to share the gospel with friends and neighbors. Uh, because here's the thing, right? I think, I think a lot of times we get intimidated when it comes to sharing the gospel, to passing this faith along, because we think, well, I don't have like the entire Roman road memorized. Or, or you know, I, I know there are like three circles, but I don't remember what each of the circles is. Listen, I think, I think often we, just, we, put our, we put way too much pressure on ourselves. Maybe the best, um, best definition of evangelism that, that I've heard is uh, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. It's that simple. It's, it's telling someone else about Jesus, about what he's done for you. So we'll, we'll do some formal training here in that. Uh, but then the, the real trick is for you to go, and, and it's called Who's Your One? So, so guess how many people we're asking you to focus on? One. One person. One person. We have a lot of fancy evangelism strategies, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. They can each serve their, their, their place. But the simple fact is that we're called to share the gospel. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be fancy. It's just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And this is what, I think this is what Jesus had in mind when he, when he gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28. It says, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what Paul has in mind here. He says, I want you to pass this along. I want you to disciple people. So that they can be able to teach others also. Who will be able to teach others also? Who will be able to teach others also? And that's how we wind up. On the other side of the world, 2,000 years later, following the same Messiah that Peter, James, and John followed in the first century. Because they told someone who told someone who told someone. And that's how we wound up here. And that's how... We, we pass the faith along to other people. We, we tell somebody. And then the third command is to simply be faithful in suffering in verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, now for Paul, this is... This is right in his wheelhouse because he is, as he's writing these words, he is suffering for the sake of the gospel. We've already said he's in prison, writing these down as he's awaiting execution. Now what's interesting is, is Paul doesn't tell Timothy to whine about his persecution, right? Or to get, to get mad about his suffering. Timothy, I want you to go out there. I want you to hire the best lawyers to get me out of this dungeon. No, he, share, he says, share in suffering. See, suffering is a reality for, for believers, and, and a reality on a few different levels. So, so we suffer spiritually because of sin, because of our own and because of others. 
There's a, there's a reality in which sin still causes suffering in our lives. Now, we suffer physically, right? So that, that could simply be the, the effect of the fallen world in which we live. As, as bodies age, that causes pain. It can cause suffering. We, we live through sickness. We live through ailments. Or, or even uh, physical persecution, but because of sin, because of the darkness of the world around us that, that is that fights against the gospel of Christ. There's suffering that takes place in our world right now today by believers who are being persecuted for their faith. I've said this before, but there there are churches around the world right now where they're gathered together today knowing that by the time they meet next week, the same group of people won't be there because some of them will be in prison, some of them may even be killed this week because of their faith in Christ, and yet they continue serving this Savior. So James, uh, in in light of this, James, who's Jesus' brother, tells us about the, the reality and even the opportunity that we have to suffer as a believer. Wait, opportunity? Hold on. I don't see anybody signing up for that trip, right? Hey, we're going to suffer for the gospel, right? Anybody, any takers? But listen to what he says. Listen to what James says. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be, you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So he says that the, the suffering, and, and, and I like I like the way he words that. I'm glad that he just put various trials in there, right? Because that can mean suffering for your faith. Because it's various, I think that can mean even something as simple as, like, you know me, I woke up today with a, with a pounding headache. What would, what would James's response be to that? Well, consider it all joy. Serve Christ in the middle of your discomfort. Because the testing of your faith produces endurance. And endurance, if, if, if we allow it to have its full effect, leads to us being mature and complete, learning to trust Christ, not just when everything's good, but we learn to trust Him when everything is not good. When life does not go according to the way that we would like for it to. That's when I think the hard work of sanctification is done where we are shaped and molded into the image of Christ as we come to see him working in and through us when things are not going the way we wish they would. So those are the three commands. Be firm in grace. Be fruitful in discipleship. Be faithful in suffering. Then he's going to give us three examples to kind of illustrate what what this would look like. And The first of these is a soldier. We see that in verses 3 and 4. We've already read 3. It says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Now things were a little bit different in, in the first century as, as, as Paul's writing this. And keep in mind, uh, as someone who spent considerable amount of time in prison, he was familiar with Roman soldiers. He's seen the way they carry out the orders of their commanding officer. So he calls Timothy to serve Christ 
as a soldier, focused on the task at hand. There are a lot of things in life that can distract believers, and and as we see Paul writing to to a pastor, to Timothy, certainly there, there are a lot of things in life that can distract pastors from following after Christ. And Paul's simply urging Timothy to be single-minded in his devotion to Christ and the kingdom. Don't concern yourself with other things. Focus on Christ. This is what he's getting at as well in 2, Timothy, or 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Paul says, as as he nears the end of his life, I think he would say, I want to be single-minded in my devotion to Christ. doesn't mean that the things of of earth, the, the, the stuff of life is bad. But it means we can be distracted by good things and lose sight of the best thing that is devoting our time, our attention, our lives to serving Christ Jesus. The next illustration he uses is that of an athlete. It says, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, in, in Paul's day... In the first century, athletes who wanted to compete in the Olympic Games were required to complete a 10-month training program. 10 months of of hard, intensive work on on whatever sport was that they were doing. They they were required to put that time in. There were no shortcuts. And we fast forward to our own day where we've seen many stories, especially in recent years. I'm I'm a baseball fan, so especially in baseball over the past 15 years of of uh, some athletes who tried to uh, use, or who did use performance-enhancing substances or tried to skirt the rules somehow. And Paul says that they're not crowned unless they compete according to the rules. What we're seeing in, in baseball right now is some of the greatest players of the last 20 years are not making it into the Hall of Fame because they cheated. Because they didn't play according to the rules. Now, we live in a culture where millions of people admire athletes. We're amazed. And if if you've paid attention, especially over the past couple of weeks, at at the amount of money that's being thrown around in in baseball, uh, we're talking about contracts for $300, $330 million. I can't even wrap my head around that. It could be Monopoly money, and I still couldn't understand what we're talking about. Right? So, So we have millions of people who admire athletes. And yet... Very few who are willing to put in the hard work to become an athlete. Now, now this, we can't take this illustration too far because he says here that, that only one is crowned, right? Only, uh, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he completes, competes according to the rules. Now, in athletic competitions, we know that only one individual or one team is crowned. Thankfully, participation trophies have not made their way to the, to the professional sports levels yet. Okay? However, in the, in the Christian life, 
we're not promised that just one person is going to be crowned. We're promised that, that all, all believers are promised this reward for faithfulness. This is what Paul says uh, later on in, in 2 Timothy 4.8. He says, There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. So he's calling us to, to strive for faithfulness in our lives as followers of Christ. Just like an athlete strives for that medal or that trophy. He says, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is laid up a prize for us. The, the last Example Paul uses, I think, is maybe the most interesting. And it stands really in stark contrast to the other two, and that is of a farmer. In verse 6, he says, The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Now, on one hand, here, Paul's telling Timothy it's all right to be compensated for his work as a pastor. Apparently, there was a debate going on. Well, should, should pastors actually be paid for, for what they for what they do, or should they just, you know, be, be like Paul, be a tent maker, and then that way he doesn't have to worry about receiving his, his pay from the gospel. And, and Timothy, or Paul's saying, no, it's the, the, the farmer should be the first to get a share of the crops. Um, as I mentioned back when we covered this in 1 Timothy, this, this idea is always uncomfortable for me because I never want to come across as self-serving. Um, but, but I find it interesting that Paul uses this idea, he uses the farmer to convey this idea rather than an athlete, right? So here's the thing. If you, if you compare those two, like nobody is applauding a farmer when he comes in at the end of the day, right? Believe me, my, my dad was a cotton farmer. There, you, you never see a farmer giving a press conference like at the end of the harvest. Well, you know, it got a little tough there. We just pushed through and, you know, had, had, a, had a good piece of equipment and, you know, thanks to Case IH for all that they do for it. No, you don't, you don't ever see that, right? I'm not aware of any farmer signing a $300 million contract. <laughs> I'm, not even sure that, I'm not even sure there's a Farmer's Hall of Fame out there somewhere, right? Somebody's like striving to, to get into, right? No, nobody calls a press conference when, when he brings the cotton to the gin at the end of the day. Farmers labor in anonymity. Why? Well, to, to provide for their families and to provide goods for the larger public. So this is a reminder to Timothy not to seek fame, not to seek a platform, but rather to just labor for the sake of the kingdom, trusting that God's going to provide for his needs. So even as he's calling Timothy to, to suffer well, at the same time he's calling him to, to keep his head down. Yes, there will be suffering, but, but in the meantime, serve faithfully. Just labor for the kingdom of God. And listen, we desperately need men and women who are laboring for the sake of the kingdom like a faithful farmer. Because this is what Jesus said in Matthew 9. It says, When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The, the harvest is abundant but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. I think we shared before, you know, the statistics 
tell us that, that New Mexico is somewhere between 90 to 95% lost without a relationship, uh, of folks that don't have a relationship with Christ Jesus. Now, in a state that, that hovers somewhere around the 2 million mark in total population, that means that we're looking at well over a million and a half people who don't know Christ Jesus, right here in New Mexico. I think that's what Jesus meant when he said the harvest is abundant. It's out there. And, and if, and if you're, you're paying attention at all in your neighborhood, in your workplace, you're going to encounter people who are wrestling with life. Who are looking for hope. Who are looking for peace in, in the middle of the, the stuff of life. And folks, we have the answer to that. We, we know where true hope is found. We know where the only true lasting peace is found. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest, and then guess what? You're one of those workers. Lord, would you send somebody to reach my neighborhood? You mean the neighborhood that you live? Yes, Lord, send someone who knows you into my neighborhood. You mean, you mean the, the place where your house is, right? The place where you live. Yes, well, you just send somebody. Then Paul gives us this final exhortation, this final word of encouragement. And that's simply this. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I love this. So, so maybe like, I mean, even at the, at the end of his reading this letter, maybe Timothy's just kind of going... Let's be a, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. I say, what? Maybe you've experienced that too. Maybe you've read the Bible and, and thought, uh, what on earth did I just read? And I guess Paul suspected that maybe Timothy was, was in the same boat. And as a matter of fact, in, in Peter's writings, we even see uh, Peter saying that, that Paul is hard to understand at times. I didn't put this in your notes, but just listen to this. It says, also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, uh, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some matters that are hard to understand. The untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction, as they also do with the rest of Scripture. So in other words, Peter's saying, look, I, hey, I heard you're reading Paul. That's awesome. Good luck. So if you've ever read the Bible and you've gone, I'm just not exactly sure what this means. Or if, even from today, if you're like, I don't know what to do with these commands. I don't know what to do with these examples. Paul simply tells us, look, consider what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. We have this promise in 1 Corinthians 2.12. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. So as we close, here's what, I, here's what I would say. Let us be people who are firm in grace. I'm not talking about perfection, because you're, you're not going to get there. But just people who are trusting the Lord 
day in and day out, in the small things of life, that we're trusting him. It would be people who are looking for opportunities to pass the faith along, whether that's to our own kids, literally raising up a next generation, or, or simply encouraging one another to grow deeper in I walk with Christ. One of the most encouraging things to me that I've ever done is meeting weekly with, with young men. Being able to pour into them and, and answer questions about the Bible. In some cases go, well, I don't know. Let's find it out together. Getting to walk with them. As they come to, see, come to see what it means to follow Christ in their own lives and to share the good news with other people. Maybe you could do that. Find another believer and just say, hey, let's get together and let's, let's, let's walk through this book together and consider what it looks like to follow Christ together. And then don't waste suffering. Whether that's some sort of persecution because of, of following Christ, maybe, maybe losing a job, taking a stand on, on the gospel, or, or as simply as Simple as trusting him in, in the middle of the nagging pains and, and sufferings of life. That as we do so, our faith might be refined and our trust in Christ would grow deeper. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done for us in sending Christ Jesus to us. We just pray that you will strengthen us in your grace. You'd remind us that we stand firm in the gospel day in and day out as followers of Christ. That our, our identity is secured in you. Would you help us to be people who, who believe that? And who are sharing the gospel with those that we come in contact with. Not, not having to memorize a whole Roman road or, 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 or three circles, but just simply sharing with others the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. That we as a church might raise up men who, who will go on to serve as pastors and deacons and, and Sunday school teachers and in churches. That you would raise up preachers out of here to go and plant churches and strengthen struggling churches. But that you'd raise up men and women who, who will just go and, and teach others the truths of the gospel who can pass those along to others as well. Will you show us how to do that? Thank you so much for who you are and for the grace that you've shown to us in sending Christ Jesus to pay for our sins. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.